Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let's bow our heads. Father, we indeed praise you. There are so many reasons why we have to praise you, but simply because only you are God. And we are opening your word this morning, and we recognize that it is through your spirit that we can get understanding. So we invite your spirit this morning as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> you mean to tell me that since I'm a Christian, since I've accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, I could potentially cheat on my wife and it wouldn't be a sin. No, it wouldn't. This is the answer I receive from a young man. Uh, I didn't really know him, don't know even his name, never heard of him again. I had a conversation with this man over the phone. You see, one of the things that I do, this is what I do as part of my research as pastor. I, once in a while, I'd like to go online and, and see what others are saying about us, about Seventh-day Adventists, what other denominations say about Seventh-day Adventists. Um, and also, uh, while I do that research, also to learn maybe some of the trends that are happening in Adventism as well. And so what I do is I go on YouTube, and once in a while I just type Seventh-day Adventist to see what comes up. And, you know, there's videos that pop up. And one day, in particular, I, I was watching this video. This was a, 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 a Christian young man with, you know, the, a speaker. You know, you see him in, in cities. They're, they're preaching. And so he, he was, but he, at this time, was having a, a conversation with another young man who happened to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And so they're going back and forth. The, the, the Christian with, that was, had the, the big loudspeaker, he was uh, arguing against the Seventh-day Adventist because he, he thought he was a legalist, et cetera, et cetera. And so I listened for, you know, I don't know, maybe about 10 minutes. And on some of these videos, you can go and actually leave comments. And so this is what I did. And this time I said, I simply went on there and, and typed, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I left it as that. Well, a few days later, somebody who had been watching the video and looked at the comments replied to my comment, because you can reply to a particular comment. So this person replied to my comment about this guy not knowing what he's talking about. And so he replied to me, so I replied back to him, and we had a conversation, you know, typing you know, online, a conversation uh, uh, about, you know, the place of the law and grace and, and all those things. And, um, you know, maybe, uh, I think it was just a day long, but after a while, I, I, I realized, you know, this is not going anywhere. And so I just basically typed that, you know, this, our conversation is not going, going anywhere. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. And, and that was it. That was the end of the conversation. Well, probably about a week later, it was a Friday, I remember, in the morning, I received a phone call. Now, on the phone call, it said restricted. So it said restricted. I don't know who this, guy, this person's calling, so I usually don't answer that. So I didn't answer it in the morning. But the afternoon, it was around 4 o'clock the same day, once again, I received a phone call. Restricted. Now, now I'm curious. So I answered the phone. And as it turns out, well, this, the, the person on the other line, so this is, he said, listen, um, this is Nelson Mercado. I said, yes, it is. And he said, listen, you don't know me, but I'm calling to educate you. That's what he said. 
Now, you may wonder, well, how do you get my phone, my phone number? Well, you know, again, this is the kind of thing, you know, uh, uh, online. You know, when you're on YouTube, it, it says my name, Nelson Mercado. So he basically researched me and then found out, okay, he's a pastor here. So he, it's on a website. My phone number's on a website. So that's how he got my number. Anyway, I, I'm calling to educate you. And so he, he said, I, I've been looking at the conversation you had with this other guy online, and I'm, I'm calling to educate you. And so we had about a 45-minute long conversation, again, about the, the role of law and grace, you know, uh, having accepted Jesus, and, and specifically the Ten Commandments. Now, you probably know that, that evangelical Christians that have a problem with the law as interpreted by Seventh-day Adventists, they really don't have a problem with the law at all. It's just one one area of the law, right? It's just the Sabbath. But they mask it by saying, well, we don't have to keep the law. But anyway, the, the way this guy explained himself, he said basically that, that Jesus, of course, you've heard this before, Jesus did away with the law. Jesus and the law was crucified uh, when Jesus, you know, nailed to the cross. So in his mind, if you've, the, the law is specific to unbelievers. This is what he explained to me. The law was for unbelievers. So it's there to guide you to Jesus. Now, once you've accepted Jesus, the law no longer applies to you, only for unbelievers. So you don't have to no longer keep the Ten Commandments. And, I, and so I, also I said, all right, that's interesting. So this is why I asked that question. You mean to tell me, since I'm already a Christian, I've accepted Jesus, I could cheat on my wife, and it wouldn't be a sin. And he said, no, it wouldn't. And so I pressed him. And so, okay, well, all right, so let me see. Uh, so I could potentially steal, and it wouldn't be a sin. And he said, no. So I was pressing him. And, and of course, he, he realized what he said, and so he started to take some steps back. And, and what he said was, well, you know, the fact of the matter is, a Christian wouldn't do those things. Well, that's sort of a contradiction. Why wouldn't a Christian do those things? There's nothing that's, if there's nothing that says that I shouldn't do those things. But anyway, a Christian shouldn't do those things. But, you know, again, if you're a, 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 a believer in Christ, since the law no longer applies to you, because remember, a, a, a sin is transgression of the law. So if there's no law for the Christian, there is no sin. You see how dangerous that can be? It can be very dangerous. And, you know, sadly... Some of these things, some of these beliefs have a way to seeping into Adventism as well and cause them a bit of ruckus. Let's open our Bibles. Let's open our Bibles because this is dangerous. This is a dangerous thing. We need to look at this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, our scripture reading. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. From the New King James Version, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, in the first epistle of John, John is... Um, He's uh, become aware that there are some false teachings that have come into the church. You know, history repeats itself, doesn't it? And so there's these false doctrines coming into the church. And primarily, there's two in particular. The, one, the first one is Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the belief that knowledge is the source of salvation. 
Okay, that's the first one that came in. And then you had docetism, which was the belief that Jesus only appeared to be in the flesh, but that in reality he was a phantom. These things seem a bit ludicrous to us, but this is the kind of thing that was coming into the early church. And so here, John had to, you know, try to um, uh, write about these things to, to the church. And so notice, when you start at chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to go to chapter 1 and verse 1, notice how he starts. That which was from the beginning, which, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Notice that he's, he's starting here by saying, this is the kind of uh, thing we have witnessed. We have witnessed, and I am sharing with you what I have witnessed, right? What I have seen, what I have heard, what I have handled with my hands, what I've touched. Now, right off the bat, he's, he, he's, he's talking to those uh, docetists because, you know, of course, you could, you could probably see a phantom if it's a phantom. You could probably hear a phantom, but you certainly can't touch one. And, he, and we have handled him. We have seen. We have heard. We have touched him. He continues, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ, verse 4, and these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. So notice, we declare these things. I am sharing with you what I have seen, what I have heard, what I have touched. He says, so that you may have fellowship. This is the purpose he has, declaring these things so that it may have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. Now, this word fellowship, koinonia in the Greek, means partnership. To be partners, have communion and partnership with God. So I declare these things to you, I, what I have witnessed, so that you may become partners with one another and you become partners with God. And, of course, he also says that he wants them to have joy. Don't you want to have joy in, little, in your life? Especially these days, we need a lot of joy. Yeah. So here, this is the message he declares, verse 5. That God is light... And in him, there is no darkness at all. God is light. There is no darkness. That seems, what does he mean by saying God is light? Well, to say that God is light is to really draw attention to his righteousness. However, and keeping in mind with the context of 1 John, what's happening in the church that he's trying to counteract, uh, uh, the, the God is light could be referring to God as the source of salvation. As the source of salvation. And, and, and the Bible points this out. Psalm 27.1 will say, uh, um, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? So, so God is the source of salvation. But could he also be referring to, to, to light as the God being the source of morality? God is the source of morality. So notice, God is light. The contrast would be darkness. Darkness would be the ignorance, the imperfection, the sinfulness, the immorality. God is light, but there's no darkness in him. See, you can't mix the two. You can't say that God is a moral God and at the same time does immoral things. Either he's moral or immoral. And this is important for us who are his followers, because how can we say that I'm a follower of God who is a moral God, who is the source of salvation, and then I live in a moral life? You can't mix the two. It's either one or the other. 
Yeah? This seems to be the problem that the audience, that, that, that the church that John is addressing had. In fact, there are, there in chapter 1 of 1 John, three false claims that John is addressing that I want to share with you today. Three false claims. Notice the first one in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So notice again the order of things. He says, listen, this is what I have witnessed. We have what I've seen, what I have heard, what I have touched. I communicate to you so that you may have fellowship, so you may have partnership with God and have joy. But this is the message. God is light. There's no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him, if you say that you have a partnership with God, and yet you walk in darkness, you're lying. Why? We know because God is light and there's no darkness in him. So how can you say you have fellowship? How can you say you have a partnership, communion with God, and walk in darkness? This is a contradiction. And so he says, we lie, right? We lie and do not practice the truth. Why? Because think about it. A Christian, when, you know, you've probably seen this, you know this, that when you say you're a Christian, people are watching you. They know you're a Christian. And how can you say you're a Christian and doing unchristian things? When you do that, you're lying. You're giving a false testimony. This is what he's saying. We lie to the world, those who are watching. Yeah? We walk contrary to, to God. God is light and there is no darkness in him. So, of course, we are not practicing the truth. And what's the truth? Well, the truth that God is light and, not, and, and, and in, the, in him there is no darkness. He is the source of salvation. He is the source of morality. And so here he's talking to the Gnostics because, remember, for the Gnostics, knowledge is the source of salvation. But John is saying, no, no, no. God is light. God is the source of salvation. You see? There's no salvation outside of Christ. And this is what these Gnostics were, were, uh, were thinking. In fact, not only that knowledge was the, the source of salvation in their minds, but that somehow they had achieved a state of sinlessness. Because, you know, the more, knowledge, the more you know, the closer you are to salvation, you have achieved a state of sinlessness. Think about it. They have become perfect in essence. They weren't sinners. Now, now, now think about this carefully. If, if you're not a sinner, would you need Jesus? Yeah? It makes sense, right? You're a, you're, you're, you're a, a sinless person. You no longer need Jesus Christ. Now, again, I said earlier, you know, one of the things that I, I do this research because, you know, sometimes, you know, there are, there are trends and things that creep into Adventism as well. And, and I, I, I sure it's not surprising to you that, uh, that you understand that there are some false doctrines and teachings coming into Adventism these days. That we got to keep our eye up, open and ears open for that. For you, things like, you have things like Shepherd's Rod. You have things like the 2520 movement, the anti-Trinitarians, and you have one that is uh, gaining a lot of momentum even in some churches in our conference called the Last Generation Theology. I've talked about this a little bit before. But in a nutshell, the Last Generation Theology teaches that in the end, before Jesus comes, 
They focus on the 144,000, and they say that the 144,000, God's people, will achieve a state of sinlessness before Jesus comes, thereby vindicating God because they're sinless. This is, this is an Adventism these days, friends, last generation theology. But again, if we achieve, achieve a stainless sinlessness, if, if there comes a time when I am perfect and no longer a sinner, do I need Christ? No. It's a contradiction, and this is what the history repeats itself. The Gnostics believe this kind of thing, and unfortunately, this kind of thing is coming in here. You know, and again, the conversation I had with my evangelical Christian friend, it was impossible, as he said, for a believer to sin because the law no longer applies to you. But John reminds his hearers and reminds us that more than words are necessary to, to back up the claim that we are followers of Christ, to back up the claim that we have fellowship with him. There are more than words. Because, see, religion without morality is an illusion. Religion, to call yourself a Christian without morality, that's fake news. You can't have it. It's a contradiction. We lie, John says to those who are watching. But he continues in verse 7, notice, but if we walk in the light, as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. So again, I share these things with you so that you may have fellowship and enjoy, right? God is light, there's no darkness. If you say you have fellowship and walk in darkness, you're lying. However, if you are walking in the light, because he's the light, God is light, if you're walking in the light, then you have fellowship with God, and when you have fellowship with God, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins, he goes on to say. Huh? It's only as we walk with Jesus, as, only as we live a godly life. When it says when we walk in the light, the, the, the term walk simply implies the lifestyle that we have. Living the lifestyle, living in a godly way, in a moral way, following and obeying God's law out of love, understanding that God, and God alone is the source of salvation, that's when we have fellowship with God. That's when we truly become partners. As the word implies. But we also have fellowship with one another in the context of the church. And, 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 and John implies that there in, in verse 3 of the same chapter. Now here's the most important part. You know, because our, our, the title of our message is Grim Reality But Good News. There's a grim reality that we have. The grim reality is that we're sinners. That we have a sinful nature. But here, not only do we have fellowship with God in spite of our grim reality, notice, we have fellowship with God and one another uh, as we walk in the light and, and the moral lifestyle, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. Amen. Let me highlight two verbs there in, in this passage. The verb walk and the verb cleanses, right? If we walk in the light and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. These, ver these uh, verbs are in the present tense, which means, uh, they suggest that this is a progressive or continuous action. In other words, it's not that we walk with Jesus. It's not that we walk in the light one time, and that's good enough. No, we are to continue to walk with Jesus. This is a continuous thing. This is a lifestyle. 
This is something that we do every day of our life. I continue to walk with Jesus. And when I continue to walk with Jesus, then the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse me every day of my life. It's not a one and done, friends. This is something that's available to us every day of our life. But we have to continue, as Jesus says in John, John 15, we have to stay connected to the vine. Amen. Because if I don't stay connected to the vine, then I'm going to have life. Right. Of course, this reminds you of, uh, of uh, uh, this doctrine of the one save, always save. You probably have heard that, right? The belief that, you know, once you've accepted Jesus, if you accepted him one time, you're good. You know, they say, I was saved on this day. In fact, I remember... Uh, I've had several conversations with people. One that pops in my mind, uh, back in the day, uh, a number of years ago, while I was still in Chattanooga, I was working as a paramedic still, and my boss, a very nice man, he was a little older than me, and since he knew that I was a theology major, we would have, you know, conversations about spirituality and whatnot, and he told me, you know, I was saved when I was six years old. Now, he's probably in the early 40s at this time. I was saved when I was six years old, haven't been to church since. But I'm saved. I'm good. But that's not the way it is, friends. We need to stay connected. We need to continue to walk with Jesus. And when we continue to walk with Jesus, the blood continues to cleanse us. If that wasn't the case, John would have said, as you walk one time, you're good. But that's not the way it is. This is why he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have what? No sin. We're deceiving ourselves. So this is a, this is a second claim, by the way, that he's counteracting here, he's arguing against. He's uh, the supposition that we don't have sin in our nature. And this is really a Gnostic view. Uh, and really, again, relevant for us today because uh, um, uh, today sin is simply seen as a weakness. Uh, 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 sort of like a disease we've inherited, and it's not my fault. It's not my fault that I'm sick, so, you know, why do anything about it? Now, I want you to notice this, because in verse 6, he said, if we, have fellowship, if we say we have fellowship and walk in darkness, we lie. We're lying to the world. Notice now, he says, if you say you have no sin, we are lying to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And I think this is worse than the first claim because, again, if we have no sin, we have no need of the blood of Jesus. But the Bible is clear in Romans 3.23 that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. To say that sin isn't part of our nature, it, that, that it isn't part of our grim reality, is to deceive ourselves. And, of course, the truth of the gospel is not in us. The, the truth of the, of the morality requirement Right? The quality, morality, quality, quality and the morally, um, uh, moral requirement is not in us because there is a requirement. We have to walk with Jesus. We, have to, we, we, we follow him. We obey his law out of love. Amen. And, of course, there's no accident that today we live in a world where anything and everything goes. Where the word wrong is, is probably trying, to, people are trying to erase wrong from our vocabulary. How dare you say that we're wrong? But it's simply self-deception, friends, self-deception. So we need to acknowledge our sin. So when we, when we acknowledge our nature, when we acknowledge that we're sinners, when we acknowledge our sins, notice verse 9, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You notice that he has the word sins, uh, sin in, in plural. It's not that he says, if you confess your sin. No, no, he is, if you confess your sins. It's more than just say, Lord, I have sinned today. You know, the Lord knows you sinned. But it's important for us to be specific. You see, Lord, I got angry today and said a bad word. Lord, I had an impure thought with this person today. It's important that you're specific, that you understand what you did wrong. And of course, when the implication, when it says if we confess our sins, the implication is that you have repented of your sins. Repentance is, is foundational because anybody can confess. If you're just going to follow the letter of the law, as long as I confess, I remember, uh, you know, I you remember I grew up Catholic. And uh, I remember when I was a, a teenager, I was in college uh, as a teenager, and our professor, he was a young man, not much older than I was, but he was our professor. And um, it was Friday. I remember it was Friday, and he was uh, just inviting all of us to go out because Friday is his party night, right? And so let's go out, party in on Friday night. Let's go all do all kinds of crazy sin, and we'll just, all we have to do is then confess ourselves on Sunday, and we'll be fine. We do it all over again next week, right? It's just a following the letter of the law. As long as I confess it, I'm good. But, but there's got to be repentance. There's got to be a desire no longer to walk in darkness. This is what repentance means, to turn around, right? So a no longer walk in darkness. So when, we, when we, have it, we, uh, we have repented, when we confess our sins, then God is faithful because he has promised to be merciful. At the same time, we can, he can be just because Jesus paid the debt for our sins. But of course, not only he forgives us our sins, notice that John says, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Remember, in verse 7, he says, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins, and that, that cleansing is a continuous thing. He continues to cleanse us. And why do I need cleansing? Well, because sin leaves a mark. Sin leaves a stench. And the more you practice it, the more you become like it. Yeah? the more you got to scrub that thing off. And so the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us. See, besides the fact that, 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 that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from the mark of sin in our lives, the, the blood of Jesus has a transforming power. A transforming power. And this is important. It's important that God changes us. And he wants to change us if we allow him to change us. And he's provided the means to change us. Otherwise, if, if, if he didn't change us, we'd have to confess our sins from here to eternity. But when, when, we, when we accept Christ, when we're walking in the light, we're allowing his, his blood not only to cleanse us from the mark of our sin, but to empower us to walk in the light further, to change us. That's what the cleansing us. And so, you know, grim reality, grim reality is that we, we have a sinful nature. That we are sinners. But, but, but part of the good news is that God has provided a way to cleanse us and to transform us. Yeah. He goes on to say in verse 10, if we, if we say that we have not sinned, 
You got to understand that the parallelism there. Because in, in, verse, in verse 8, he said, if we have no sin, now he says, if we say we have not sinned, okay, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the third claim. The claim that uh, to be incapable of committing sinful acts and that you have not committed sinful acts. Now, again, notice the, 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 the process here because there's parallelism here, you know, one to the other. Uh, uh, verse 6, again, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie to the world because it's a false witness. If we, in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves. And now if we say we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. You see that? We're calling God a liar. Because God says in his word that we are sinners. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, God's dealings with us rest on the basis that we are sinners in need of salvation. And we need to realize this. We need to come to that realization that I'm a sinner in need of, of a salvation, in need of somebody to save me. Right? In fact, uh, Ellen White in Desire of Ages said that only he who sees his own sinfulness can discern the preciousness of the Savior. That makes sense. See, to, to deny this, to deny this is to call God a liar who clearly says in his, in his word that I am a sinner. That I have a sinful nature. Yeah. And again, you go back to this gentleman that I spoke to on the phone. Um, he again uh, uh, basically said that, God, that Jesus, when he died, did away with the law. Therefore, it is impossible for a believer to sin. That's like saying, you know, I needed God because, of course, if the law is there for the unbeliever to lead to Jesus, that means that, I, okay, I needed God until I accepted Christ, but once I have accepted Christ, I no longer need God. But maybe, maybe I'm a softie, but I need God every day of my life. How about you? Yeah, yeah. But John is not done yet. Now, like a father speaking to his children, notice chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know, superficially, it seems like a contradiction because he had talked already in, church, in, in chapter 1 about the reality of sin, right? And now he says, um, uh, I write to you so that you may not sin. Seems like a contradiction. But in reality, like a father, you know, he doesn't want his children to get into trouble. He doesn't want you to get into trouble. His desire is upon meditating upon the mercy and the grace of God that we would not want to walk in darkness anymore. Right? But this is where it's hard sometimes, Earl. You were thinking, Pastor, this is hard. It's hard for me to continue to walk in the life because after all, I have a sinful nature. I, I, I do the things I shouldn't do and I, and I don't do the things I should do. We all struggle with that. Paul writes about it in Romans 7. And that's a reality. It's true. That's a reality for all of us. We're all sinners. That's our grim reality. But again, the good news in this time, verse two, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, is that if you do sin, and we all do, God has provided what? An advocate. What is an advocate? A representative, a lawyer, a defense attorney. You know, why would you need a lawyer if you haven't done anything wrong? You know, I like to watch cop shows, right? Law and order. I watch Law and Order. 
And, uh, and based on that, I, understand, I guess there's some truth to this, that cops get very irritated when a suspect lawyers up, right? Why are, you, why are you asking for your lawyer if you didn't do anything wrong? Well, God knows we've done some uh, you know, wrong. We, we, we've sinned, and he's provided our defense attorney, Jesus Christ the righteous, and Jesus is perfectly qualified to be our lawyer. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yeah, our advocate. So John goes on to say, and he himself, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Yeah, you know the word atonement, at-one-ment, that calls for that partnership and fellowship. He is, he is the way for, uh, to appease the wrath of God whose standard we have violated. God says, of course, that the soul that sins must die. It's clear in Ezekiel 18.20. But Jesus died in our place, thereby fulfilling the demands of the law. And Jesus' death, of course, is not only, no, it's not only for the Jews. His death is not only for a select group of people. His death is not only for Seventh-day Adventists. His death was for everybody. His blood covers all of you, covers me. Yeah? But again, everybody probably thinking, you know, Pastor, I'm a basket case. You don't know me, Pastor. I'm how, how bad I'm a basket case. How can God forgive me? I have messed up. I have failed. I am a lost cause. And I say to that, absolutely, you're, you're right. You're a lost cause. You're a mess. I'm a mess. That's our grim reality. Yeah. We are, we're sinners by nature. And, and, and we need to acknowledge that because if we don't acknowledge it, we're not seeking, we're not seeking the, the solution. You have to acknowledge that you have a problem in order for you to seek the solution. I'd be worried if you said, you know, I got it all covered. I got it all figured out. Like these last generation people, oh, I made it. I am sinless. Ah, that's when I'd be worried. Yeah. And the good news, again, is that we have an advocate, and, and as we walk in the light, as we repent and confess our sins, we will have fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, we will be forgiven, and we will be cleansed, and we will be given, be given the power to change, to be transformed. But when we fall and mess up, there's Jesus defending us, and he has not lost a case yet. Amen. Yeah. Now, I want to be clear here. I, don't want, to, I want to qualify all this. Because there are those who, who will be critical to what I said and say, Pastor, you are just excusing sin. Yeah. There are those who say, if, you, if you're saying that we can't be perfect and sinless, that means you're excusing sin. That's not what we're saying at all. No. Now, it is true that we can stain our clothes intentionally, or unintentionally. But don't let the fact that you have tied at home, you know, tied the laundry detergent. Don't let the fact that you have tied at home cause you to intentionally stain your clothes. You see? See, God recognizes that every now and then we're going to spill some stuff on our clothing, right? Yeah? He recognizes that sometimes we're going to do wrong, we're going to get sloppy, and he wants us to understand that when sin happens, he has a way to cleanse you. He has the heavenly tide. It's the heavenly washing machine. Confession after repentance. But we should not abuse the privilege. 
We should not abuse the privilege and engage in sin because we know that, that God has provided a way to cleanse us. That would be not walking in the light. That would be walking in the darkness. And we have to continue walking in the light. And God will provide a way of transforming us and changing us. Amen? Do you believe this? You know, there is a, a very powerful scene from uh, the first episode of a television series called uh, The uh, Newsroom. It's actually uh, an HBO series. And uh, it's been on social media quite a lot, so maybe some of you have seen this. It's really a powerful scene. Um, in the scene, the news anchor is played by Jeff Daniels. And, and he's a member of a three-person panel uh, in a large auditorium filled with you know, uh, adults of various ages. And then a young woman stands up and she, she asks, because everybody's asking questions, so he, she stands up to the microphone and asks the question. This is what she asked. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? And so the other two panelists sort of are pandering to, to her uh, question, to her, and, and one said, well, you know, we're the, America is the greatest country in the world because of the diversity that we have. And the other one said, no, America is the greatest country in the world because we have freedom." And everybody seems satisfied with that. Jeff Daniels was silent for a moment, and then he says, it isn't the greatest country in the world. And he goes on with a long speech about pointing out some of the, the reasons why America isn't the greatest country in the world. And while this is a, uh, it's a television show, you know, it's a powerful scene, and, and, and there's a lot of truth to it. And he says, greatest country in the world well, it sure used to be, but not anymore. And he ends his statement by saying that the first step in solving any problem is recognizing that there is one. The first step in recognizing the problem of sin, right? Uh, or rather, the, the, start, the first step in recognizing that, that we have a Savior, that we have a way to be cleansed, that's that we need that cleansing, is that recognize that we need the cleansing. Is recognizing that we are sinners, that we have a sinful nature, and that we need Jesus to do something about it. And God has provided a way to do something about it. He has provided your cleansing. He has provided your transforming power. He has provided your advocate. Amen? And he will do the, the heavy lifting. Amen? But we need to accept that. Do you accept that today? You recognize your, 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 the grim reality of your life, but do you accept the solution that he has provided? And if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, I, 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 I plead with you to do that today because it is Jesus who is the solution. It is Jesus who is the great good news to our grim reality. Amen? Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org.